Hello and welcome to episode six of The State We're In, Captured. This is the podcast that looks at the state capture inquiries happening in Parliament at the moment. And I guess this episode starts with a confession. We haven't been around for quite a while, but I'm sure we can be forgiven for that because... This has been, without a doubt, hands down, the most insane time politically that I certainly have ever seen in South Africa. Uh, so we've not really been able to keep you updated on what's been happening at the inquiry into state capture at ESCOM, at Parasa, and at everywhere else. <laughs> Amidst this protracted recall of former President Jacob Zuma, where the country was literally on tenterhooks for more than a week, Eventually, that epic interview that wasn't an interview that he gave to the SABC and that night, finally his resignation, the election of a new president, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa's first State of the Nation address, and then the tabling of the budget on time. Thank goodness for that. We kind of had our hands a bit full, but the ESCOM inquiry also had to take a bit of a step back at, at some points and reschedule some of its hearing days. So we kind of have an excuse there. In the last week, though, it's picked up momentum again in a big way. So I thought it might be an idea to reel it back a bit and just figure out what we missed in the melee of South African politics that was. Just in case you've forgotten, I'm Charlotte Kilbane. I'm the news editor at Eyewitness News uh, in Cape Town. And with me is our parliamentary correspondent, Lindsay Dentlinger. So let's get started, Lindsay. Let's reassess the state we're in, which is what exactly at the moment? Well, Charlotte, as you've correctly pointed out, it's been a crazy time in South African politics. And the Public Enterprises Committee really wants to wrap up its hearings into ESCOM by the end of the month. But they've also had to concede that with everything going on, they also needed to cancel their meetings, move it around a bit. Inquiry Chairperson Zuki Swaranto says people are still voluntarily wanting to come and testify. They are, are having a little bit of trouble getting those that they really want to see testify come before it. But in the meantime, with everything that's gone on, the recent political developments have meant that the committee has lost two of its fiercest members in Pravin Gordon, who will now be heading up this very portfolio as the minister, and Mondli Gungabele, who has become the deputy finance minister. So you remember that testy exchange between Gordon and Lynn Brown last who year? Who could forget? She not only now has lost her job to Pravin Gordon in Cyril Ramaphosa's cabinet reshuffling, she's now also resigned as MP just a few days ago. So she limps off stage right and uh, and and of course I must say I was not surprised by the Pravin Gordon move because of all the noise he's been making in this committee and because of everything he's had to say yet uh, about state capture and specifically about how important it is for our public enterprises and our state-owned companies to be healthy and to not be completely captured by some external force. And he wasn't impressed by Lynn Brown when she appeared last year saying all that she had to offer the committee was denials, which is, you know, pretty much what we've seen from ESCOM as well. And, you know, Lynn Brown, she might not be an MP anymore, but she's still in trouble with the public protector, albeit the public protector saying that she inadvertently led Parliament because of false information given to her from ESCOM. So let, let's go back, Charlotte. We're okay. getting ahead of ourselves. So, like we do. so as, as we do, because we get so excited about these things. So where do we start? I don't think... 
think we ever covered um, Lucky Montana, the former Prasa boss. So he, I mean, for the South Africans who weren't fretting and fetching about what was going on with the ANC and the nation as a whole, uh, many people glued to their screens for several hours in late January. But what exactly was the connection to ESCOM? Because he was the former leader of Prasa, right? Correct. And literally, Lucky Montana was a runaway train. And he just kept it coming down the tracks, dropping name after name, weaving such a labyrinth that it it was hard to keep track of what he was going on about. But as you say, why was the boss of Prasa coming to testify about things at ESCOM? Well, he maintained that Ben Martins, the deputy minister of public enterprises, had kind of in a way, misled or created the wrong impression when Ben Martins gave his press conference last year. So now we have to remind our our listeners that, remember, Ben Martins didn't want to appear before the inquiry, but he was listening to everything that was going down. And then he called the media conference to deny everything that went down. And, And in that, he dropped Lucky Montana's name and suggested that Lucky Montana had brought uh, Tony Gupta and Duduzane Zuma, former President Jacob Zuma's son, to his house. And Lucky Montana said this was t- totally an incorrect impression that had been created. And that's why he wanted to come to the inquiry to set the record straight. But for hours and hours, he just he was there just to dish out everything about Prasa. And for a moment, you could actually have forgiven people for forgetting that he himself left Prasa and a shroud of controversy, the public protector fingering him in uh, maladministration, but the Twitter sphere doesn't quite forget. The Twitter sphere <laughs> never forgets. So essentially, Lucky Montana was there to clear his name. Twitter is reminding us that, hey, d- just don't listen to everything this guy's got to say because let's not forget where he comes from. But let's take a listen to what he really wanted to tell the committee. I was, of course, extremely disappointed because I felt that the statement that was made by Deputy Minister um, Martins was not entirely truthful, was not fair, and was not comrade. So essentially, uh, Charlotte, Montana said the pair had tried to influence a major project to replace the country's trains and that the Guptas wanted him gone because he was not going along with their plan. Tony Gupta and, and Duduzani were very shameless because one of the things they said to me was that, and, and Tony said it at the meeting, uh, in the presence of the minister, one, that, like, you are not going to be at Prasa forever. Mm-hmm. We can arrange something for you to get it in Dubai yourself. So, Ben Martins, just take me back one, one step. He was like the minister of diary affairs, the guy who came out and said, no, 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 I definitely wasn't there. I definitely wasn't at this meeting. But I can't tell you where I was because I don't have my diary with me, like the original dog ate my homework. Excuse. Correct. Besides this particular meeting at his ministerial home with the Guptas, there was that where he really got dragged into it was by ESCOM's legal advisor, Suzanne Daniels, where she said that he was at a meeting with her at Melrose Arch where they met the Guptas. So Martins didn't want to appear before the inquiry, had a lot to say, didn't want to say it before the inquiry. But we'll, we'll, we'll come back to him a little later on. So, but Lindsay, Ben Martins did eventually appear, didn't he? So after refusing to appear last year, the very next day, after Montana had spent hours 
in the uh, witness chair, Ben Martins, did eventually show up. Um, and he pretty much shored up the testimony that Montana gave, saying that uh, that press conference Montana might have misconstrued uh, what what had been said. And he by no means meant to say that Montana brought the Guptas to his house and he tried to clarify his relationship with the Gupta family. Uh, within the remit of uh, my various responsibilities as uh Minister of Transport, before that as Deputy Minister of uh, Public Enterprises and Minister of Energy, you meet many individuals from different uh, stations of life and uh, you interact with them as far as work is concerned. If they make requests uh, where it is reasonable, where it's possible, you can do so. But under no circumstance uh, can I say that uh, Mr. Tony Gupta is a friend of mine. He's not a friend of mine. In fact, Martins also tried to play this role that he was the good cop and that he actually rebuked Tony Gupta for his interfering ways when they were brought to his attention by Lucky Montana. I also sternly rebuked Mr. Tony Gupta for abusing the name of the president, myself, and that of Mr. Montana. The meeting ended acrimoniously. Wow. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot going on here. And as there was a lot going on here, there was even more going on um, outside of this inquiry by this committee, because we were literally hit at that point by a whirlwind of political developments in the background. There was stuff going on. South Africans were back and forth on Twitter. We were all wondering, will we get a new president? Is there a new president? Who will it be? Will we have a budget? Will we even have a State of the Nation address? And right there in the background, this committee was just chugging along, allowing on with testimony. And this one was from the coal mining company, Exaro. So what what was the upshot of their submissions? Because that was also Exaro and the, and, and the coal, um, kind of the supply of coal to ESCOM was a very important part of this state capture story. Um, it was indeed because Exaro was a mining company that had several contracts with ESCOM to provide coal at some of the uh, key power plants. And as you said, while everything was going on in the background, we might not have been paying such close attention to what was going on in the inquiry. But the CEO, Kholisi Mohojo, told the inquiry that ESCOM had favoured contracts with the Guptas de Geta mines, even though Exaro's pricing was more cost-effective. He said Exaro had just suddenly lost their contracts to Optimum Coal Mine, which was subsequently being bought and taken over by Tegeta. And asked by the DA's Natasha Mazzoni whether there was an attempt to capture South Africa's mining industry to benefit the interests of the Gupta family, Mohojo's answer was a definitive yes. Sure. So there we go. There's there's another person claiming that there was a concerted effort to capture a very large part of our economy. And uh, then, of course, uh, we had to take a bit of a break. And this inquiry had to take a bit of a break because there was this whole matter of a new cabinet that we got. Parliament, <laughs> having got off to a furiously rocky start this uh, this year uh, with, with all sorts of uncertainty all over the place, is now trying to settle down to the change in leadership and to the change in the way of doing things in this kind of new dawn that Cyril Ramaphosa keeps touting. And the inquiry resumed again last week. But without, of course... Two of our perfect people whom we have grown to enjoy so much, Pravin Gordon and the ever-inquisitorial Mondli Gungubele. 
That's right, Charlotte. The committee is two men down at the moment, uh, but the, they don't see it, besides it obviously being a loss for them, they also see it as a feather in their cap that President Cyril Ramaphosa has chosen two of their own to take up important portfolios in uh, his cabinet. It's still unclear who will replace them in the committee and subsequently on that inquiry, uh, but the committee will be seeing a lot of Gordon in the future, no doubt with him being handed that poison chalice that he only months ago uh, before that very inquiry gave Lynn Brown quite a tongue lashing about. So, who have we been hearing from more recently then? No doubt also the people who are going to fill those two spots on the committee have a very big shoes to fill, so we'll be watching that uh, very carefully, I'm sure. Who have we heard from more recently? Right, Charlotte. So we've had a company called G9. They are essentially forensic consultants. They were hired by ESCOM uh, early last year to probe claims of corruption from a whistleblower. Essentially, it's managing director Raji Murugan told the inquiry that he was shocked by the lies that had been told by ESCOM's former financial officer, Anuj Singh, that this report that they had compiled had been retracted. And he said there was nothing further from the truth. And he then went on to tell the committee that he thought that Anuj Singh has very serious consequences to face in his future. Mr. Anoj Singh should start packing his bags to go to Sun City, not the one in Rustenburg, but the Sun City in Johannesburg. Wow, the shade there, hey? That was quite hectic. This company only lasted six weeks before its services were terminated by ESCOM's board chairperson at the time, Zetemba Koza. But... Murugan has told the committee that that was enough time for them to establish that the complaints from this whistleblower had substance. Very quickly, the body of information and evidence pointed towards possible corruption, money laundering and racketeering. Murugan also dropped damning evidence against former ESCOM board chairperson Zetemba Koza, saying he was the one who put a stop to their investigation and tried to cover up facts relating to ESCOM's relationship with consultancy firm Trillion Capital. He would make statements like, do you know that people get killed for doing these types of investigations? And who is this G9? And then, of course, we were also supposed to hear from uh, the former SAA board chairperson, Dudu Mieni. There's a name we haven't heard in a while, but she just didn't pitch. Unsurprising, because that seems to be her party trick. Uh, Why would the inquiry want to hear from her anyway? Right. So that's quite strange. Everybody wants to know what's the connection between SAA and ESCOM. If you remember late last year, another former ESCOM board chairperson, they've had so many we can't keep track, but in this case it was Zola Tsotsi. And he told the inquiry that he first met President Jacob Zuma at a house in Durban. And Dudu Miyeni was allegedly present at this meeting, if we can call it that. And she also gave him, if we can use the word, instructions to suspend ESCOM executives. Again, this is a big hole in this puzzle that we haven't yet filled as to what Dudumiani's role would be in telling an ESCOM board chairperson about who he should suspend in his company. So the committee wrote to Dudumiani a few weeks back, asked her to appear to come and clarify this testimony of Zola Tsotsi. She had the gumption not to even respond to them in the same way that they had written to her. She sent the committee secretary a string of SMSs saying that her lawyer was away. 
he hadn't appraised himself of, of what was going on before this inquiry. He also needed to check the legalities of her appearing before this inquiry. And so she wasn't coming. So obviously MPs were not happy about that. They wanted her to be summoned immediately. By the end of that particular session of uh, that hearing, the committee chairperson said they would give her another chance. They would write back to her again. So for now, she's not summoned and we don't know when exactly she will appear. So that is still hanging out there as to whether Dudemiyeni and when Dudemiyeni will show up. Will the sun ever go down on this woman's chances, though? How many times has she done this? Just not pitched or thumbed her nose or said, yeah, no, don't feel for it. Well, the inquiry, again, you know, they're not letting these people sidetracking. They're going to move on with people who are available and on that particular day it was Abram Masango. He is a suspended executive at ESCOM, still suspended I might add. He's also been the project manager for one of ESCOM's biggest projects, Kusile. He has a 20-year history with the company and it turns out that he was the whistleblower who went to the board and wanted to dish the dirt on what he saw, what was going on that involved Machele Koko. And you remember there's that controversial contract that Koko's stepdaughter got from ESCOM. Yes. But he says him and Koko always had a good working relationship. But somehow he got outed as the whistleblower. And that's when he ended up in a world of pain and says Machele Koko threatened him, intimidated him when he found out that he was behind this whistleblower's report. I prepared the whistleblower's report not knowing that my fate would be sealed, my credibility and integrity challenged, my employment jeopardized and my safety and security compromise. And then there was another key issue that Masango addressed, which was a meeting with Gupta associate Salim Essa. This is also one of the characters that the inquiry is yet to pin down to come before the committee. But again, here's another meeting at Melrose Arch, not to be confused with the one we've heard about before. Yes. This was another one apparently called by Machele Koko. Masango told the committee he was driving back to his job at Kusile when he got this phone call, told to turn around and to come to this office with no nameplate he'd never been to before by Michele Coco and he said Coco's behavior was all just a little bit too strange for him. Chair, in my entire tenure in ESCOM I never went to a meeting where somebody take my phone and put it outside. It was for the first time and that's what worried me to say but what is this mafia style of you know like taking the phone and I go in there they tell me that for Four executive are going to be suspended. And I say, what's the reason? And there's no reason that it's coming out. This notion of people behaving mafia style has been a recurring theme during this. And I'm, I, I must say, perhaps it's subconscious, but it's inspired me to start rewatching The Sopranos. Uh, <laughs> and I'm seriously drawing parallels there. But uh, back to the actual story, he also had some quite damning things to say about Lynn Brown, didn't he? He did. And by this time, she's already been axed from Ramaphosa's cabinet. What we didn't know was that in just over 24 hours, she would actually resign as an MP. But still, it kept coming uh, for Lynn Brown. He told the committee that he didn't believe that she didn't know the extent of maladministration at ESCOM. And he also alleged that she put a stop to Coco being suspended in March 2017. When we go to any board member, you're talking to the same system. Probably out of the board member, you can count three, four that were not involved in my own observation. 
I don't believe that the minister did not understand what's going on. And uh, by the way, Chair, the informal communication was reaching the minister. Okay, so Lindsay, that's quite that's quite a lot. I think we've caught everybody up, and I've certainly caught up through this little conversation here. Who are we still waiting for? Who's next to appear? Well, Charlotte, just when we think we've got the program nailed down and we know who's coming, the script gets flipped on us. So who we are waiting for besides Dudamieni is another former public enterprises minister, in this time in the form of Malusi Gigaba. We all have all focused our attention on Lynn Brown for the entire duration of this inquiry, having slightly forgotten that amongst all those portfolios that he gets shuffled around in, he was actually the public enterprises minister for quite a number of years. Mm-hmm. He has uh, written to the committee asking for areas of focus that they want to speak to him about. And it was our understanding that he was to appear this week. Just before coming into the studio with you, we've now received notice that he needs some more time. Oh, more time. Yes. We now understand that he won't be appearing this week as expected. Who we still believe is coming is former board chairperson Ben Gabani. A lot has been said about him up until now. And he's not a man to suffer fools either. And he takes nothing lying down. So we can expect, you know, quite a bullshit exchange from him should he pitch. And But then there's still this big question before this inquiry wraps up at the end of this month, whether the Guptas are going to show up. And that is literally all web records will be broken if they, if any of them appear before that committee meeting. I think I think service will crash across, across South Africa. Well, let's not forget that their lawyers have written to the inquiry and told the inquiry they would appear, but it had to be after some time mid-January. We're well beyond that now. But when I had a chat to the inquiry chairperson last week, she told me that those lawyers say they are no longer the Gupta's lawyers. Interesting. So the inquiry doesn't really have a way to speak directly to them. As you know, most of the country's looking for them. We don't know who's here. We don't know who's not here. But again, this inquiry never uh, want to uh, shirk away from a challenge. And the inquiry chairperson says they are not giving up. They are going to continue looking for them until uh, somehow they get them before this inquiry. And the juice that would come out of that would just be so interesting. Lindsay Dentlinger, thank you again for another wonderful catch up on on, on this uh, state capture inquiry. Uh, we'll continue keeping tabs on it. Things have calmed down marginally politically in the country. We have this new dawn to contend with and figure out what that all means for us. And this inquiry will continue and we'll be here as often as we can to keep you appraised of what is going on in the world of state capture. We'll see you again soon.